Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. And today we've got our guest, Justin H., where we're going to be talking about his life uh, as far as addiction and recovery. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good, and you? You're doing well. That's good to hear. I'm doing well also. Um, but yeah, let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name's Justin. I'm from Northwest Alabama. Uh, I got going on three years clean uh, from methamphetamines. Is where I, I ended up going with my addiction. Uh, I started at a fairly early age. Uh, first time I took a drink was around nine years old. Oh wow! Me and, me and my brother <clears throat> used to break into the neighbor's house and we'd take their alcohol and sit behind junk cars and, and just go to town with it. You know, I wasn't really around very many alcoholics growing up. I had an uncle that was an alcoholic. Um, of course, he messed with little drugs, too. Uh, I got a brother who's still active addiction. But um, we, uh, when I got my teenage years, I kind of got started going toward the, the harder stuff. I started partying on the weekends and drinking liquor and things like that. I got introduced to, to drugs at 16. That's when I started smoking pot. And uh, to me, pot was everything, man. I, I, I smoked pot every day. I'd wake up smoking. I'd go to bed smoking, you know. That insanity part of life was just staying messed up. Um, I, I got married at an early age. I was 18 when I got married. Well, real quick, I, real quick, going back to your childhood, I know you said you and your brother at nine were breaking into neighbors' houses. Looking back, do you think there was a reason for it? Were you just being a rebellious kid, or did you have issues at home that maybe you had some stress that you needed to be relieved? You know, is there anything like no, that? I, I can't say that I really had any stress as a kid. I mean, we we was a, a low-poverty type of family. You know, we moved around a lot and struggled to make ends meet, but I was just a, a father-to-leader type of kid, you know. I, when I, my brother, whatever my brother wanted to do, I was I was game to do. It was... If he was doing it, I, was, I wanted to do what he was doing, you know. And that was drinking or smoking or fighting or whatever it might have been, you know. Uh, whatever he wanted to do, we was doing. And uh, so I was just a tag along for the most part. But by the time I by the time I got to doing things solo, you know, my brother was already moved out and and doing his own thing. So I was the last. I'm the youngest of four siblings, so I was the only one left at home and. Uh, tended to, to to hang with the outcast crowd. Uh, Real quick, troublemakers. Real quick, what was it like the first time you used? How did you feel? I, I felt like I was I, I was just in a different world. Um, I didn't start doing any hard drugs until my early thirties, but my the first time I smoked smoked marijuana was. Uh, like I said, I was 16, and man, it, the, the the high that I got was just nothing. I was untouchable, you know. I, nothing ever bothered me. I was the life of the party, and then that's the feeling that I loved. You know, I was mellowed out. I can, I didn't deal with any any kind of issues. Uh, now, the first time I drank, uh, I didn't. I, I think I was maybe 12. First time I ever blackout drunk uh, was absolute vodka and Bud Light and I hate absolute vodka but uh, I drank till I passed out and I didn't the effects of it was I don't even know how to explain it for real man it, like I said it's 
I was in a different world. Uh, I, I moved around a lot. Did it give you more confidence? Do you think? Did it give you? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely give you more confidence. Gave me more confidence because I, I moved around a lot as a kid, so I didn't make a lot of friends. Uh, you know, I, by the time I made friends, we was moving, and I was having to make new friends. So I spent a lot of time alone, a loner. Um, so whenever I was under the influence of any anything, whether it be alcohol or drugs, whatever it may be, I could approach people better. So yeah, I'd say it gave me more confidence. So um, did you make more friends? Were you the, like the outgoing kid in school, or did you ever use yeah. it when, when you were that young? Did you ever use before you went to school? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I used at school or before school or whenever available um my my mom she used to keep a bottle of brandy in the freezer um for back problems and things like that she'd use it to help her sleep and i'd go in there and i would sneak her brandy and then refill it with tea you know expecting never to get caught which eventually of course i did but yeah i would use before school or, or during school or after school whenever whenever i can get my hands on anything i would use it it was definitely something that if it was presented to me i was using regardless of when or where who was around nobody noticed while you were at school that you were drinking or were you drinking or smoking pot at school both both and and nobody ever noticed the drinking like on your breath or anything if they did they didn't say nothing you know what i mean Uh, it never i I, it never started getting me into trouble until my adult years Uh, i mean i there was times i would come in under the influence as far as coming at home and my mom would notice, and she would say something to my dad, and of course my dad would say something to me later on. But, but my my drinking and drug use never really started getting me into trouble until my adult years. Uh, after I went through my first divorce, that's when that's when I really took a downhill slope. So your uh, parents me. your parents didn't care when you were younger, and they found out you were getting screwed up at school and stuff. Uh, they cared. Um, what do they do about far- it? As far as finding out that I was using at school, that's not something that they never that they ever found out. As far as when I was a kid, now I would come in from being out with my friends under the influence, and I'd get in trouble for that. Um, they would drown me or things like that. Or, but I never went to no rehabs or anything like that. As far as when I was a kid, I mean, that never never got me that kind of extreme you know i mean I, I think my parents looked at it as kids being kids they didn't really see it as a problem because i didn't really present it as a problem so, so does that make sense yeah i mean i'm obviously not gonna say i agree with it but everyone um people handle things the best way they know how i've i've come to understand so they they, they were probably doing the best they could and they were like you said not that they didn't care it sounds like that they just really didn't think it like you said it was a problem as a problem right uh there's a lot of things that that happened when i was a kid in my early adult years that my folks didn't know about you know like what uh, i mean as far as how often i drank or used drugs or things that i did uh they went until my early 30s and you know my mom knew the extent of just how much trouble i'd gotten into with my drug and alcohol abuse well, moving yeah. so you were talking about being really young. So when you graduated high school finally, what what did you do with your life? Oh, I quit school at 16. Oh, so you didn't uh, even make it to the, graduation. The day I turned 16, I quit school and I got a job. 
and like I said, I got married at 18, and I kind of kind of put a lid on things when I first got married because she was pregnant with my oldest boy who's just graduated high school himself. And um, so I, I'd smoke weed occasionally, and I would drink on the weekends type of thing. Like I said, I, until my first divorce, which I was 22 when I got, got divorced the first time, and I was working at a bar when I got divorced. That's when my drinking really took a downhill slope. I was every day, all day, day in and day out, constantly. I didn't have uh, I didn't have my boy. My my wife did, and uh, so I I, I kind of took it. My divorce was kind of hard on me, and I turned to to the drinking even more so. And I could drink on the job as long as I could do my job. It's like um, the perfect so, uh, perfect job for an alcoholic as long as, like you said, you hold your shit together. Right. So I drank from the time I got there to the time I left. And then when I left, I was still drinking. Um, and, but it, my, my boy caught the aftermath of all that because yeah, I got behind on child support and my visitations didn't go the way they were supposed to because I would make excuses why I couldn't get him. You know, I'd be like, oh, well, I got to work or I got to do this or I got to do that. And at the time, I didn't see as it being problems, you know, because I didn't recognize I had a problem. But as once I got in recovery, I realized it was a problem. Uh, I lost my rights to him when he was nine, you know, just so I wasn't even allowed to talk to him or be around him or anything. Um, but I've been been married and divorced twice. I'm on my third marriage now. I got six children, and uh, like I said, I lost my rights to my oldest boy and my oldest daughter. Um, I ain't. I don't get to do any. I don't get to have anything to do with her, and, and it's all because of the decisions I made in my early addictions. What um, age were you when you lost the rights to see your children? I see. Uh, my boy was. See, I was 27 when I lost my rights to my oldest boy, and I was probably 29 when my oldest daughter got took away from me. Uh, her her grandmother on her mom's side has her, and uh, uh, when she first got her, I wasn't in position to, to do anything about it. Like, I mean, I couldn't even pass a drug test, uh, let alone try to fight for her in court because I didn't have a steady place to live or a steady job because when you're when you're living when you're living in addiction like I was you you're not paying attention to tax paying jobs or child support or anything you don't care about none of that because we're selfish and self-centered you know all we care about is making a little money and getting high <laughs> that's absolutely true so when I got 32 years old when I got introduced to methamphetamines and uh and I went hook line and sinker with that um who introduced you stuff. who introduced you to methamphetamines no well, there's a guy mm-hmm. that i worked with who done it regularly and uh every morning we would get in the truck and and he would scratch him out of line and and go with it and i was against it forever i didn't want to go that route uh and then my mindset one day i got in the truck and been up all night fighting with my girlfriend and uh when he scratched him out of line i told him to scratch me out of line and there we went and uh i started out maybe ten dollars worth in a week to an eight ball a day you know pretty quick so that went on for three or four years a couple years and then uh I started getting in a lot of trouble with the law, like 
I had warrants stacked up. I went 10 years without a driver's license. Uh, I had a bunch of warrants stacked up, and I was running from the law, and I run from them for, I don't know, three weeks or better. Uh, what were you running from? So what were you running from? Was it being behind on child support was going to throw you in jail, or what was the deal? Uh, well, no, I, I, I run after to Reno, Nevada for about six months. Uh, me and my, I got my two, I got three, three daughters that live at home with me now. Uh, my four-year-old and my three-year-old were only two ahead at the time, and me and their mama wasn't seeing eye to eye about some things, and the, our relationship was getting real bad. And uh, I, we was both spun out on dope, and uh, it got to where I was putting my hands on her, you know. And uh, that's not who I am. I was raised against all of that, but as anybody that's been under addiction knows that it changes who you are, your principles and your morals go clean out the window. But uh, we uh, we had a great big old fight, and uh, I ran off to Reno for six months uh, to quote-unquote get my head right. And, uh, of course, I didn't get sober. I, I got out there and stayed on dope and just stayed away from them. And when I come back, I had a, a existing warrant with the, the county that I'm from. I got pulled over and went to jail, uh, bonded out. And a couple of weeks later, I got arrested for possession of methamphetamines, which in the state that I live in, you can have a bag with a little bit of residue in it. It's felony possession. Um, so they got me for that and sentenced me to work release. Well, when I went to work release, I ran. So they got me on escape third and felony possession charges. And uh, I was on the run with my girlfriend and my kids. You know, uh, I put my kids in positions that, I just should have never been in thinking that I was uh, taking care of my kids, but I wasn't, man. I, uh, we lived in a, we stayed in a house that didn't have no running water, no power, nothing like that. Uh, for a couple of weeks, when they, they finally caught me, um, in an abandoned trailer, um, and put me in jail. And that's where I sat for nine, nine and a half months. But that's where I got sober at. Oh, I was just when about I got, to ask if, because I hear a lot from people that once you get to jail, it's just as easy to get stuff, and sometimes it it's, sometimes it's even easier. Someone told me once. It's it's pretty easy to get high in jail. Uh, matter of fact, the last time that I got high, a guy brought a, a big sack in and kind of just gave everybody in the cell, you know, free range to the the dope bags. So everybody in there was spun out. You know, you get a bunch of folks in a sale spun out together and you got all the paranoia going on and all that. You know, everybody's against you. But uh, I ended up seizing out. I had a seizure and uh, went outside my mind there for for a little while. And uh, when I when I finally got clear headed, they put me in a solitaire pretty much. I mean, it was just me and one other guy in a holding cell because I wasn't mentally stable enough to be in population. So, um, I, I come to a point where, uh, I, I hit step one and realized I had a problem. You know what I mean? Uh, this, I, this I had, happened in jail. Yeah. This, this happened in, in jail where, uh, I, I, I say that I had my spiritual awakening before I ever took any steps. <laughs> All right. So, uh, I, when they finally reintroduced me to population and I went to a sale, uh, 
uh, I had I had lost everything, man. I lost everything I owned. I lost all access to any of my children. Um, my everything that was important to me was gone. There was nothing left. The only thing I owned was a pair of cowboy boots, a pair of sleep pants, and a t-shirt. You know what I mean? I, I had absolutely nothing. I lost everything. That's as rock bottom as I could get. In my eyes. well, uh, I went. You know, everybody. You hear about nine one one prayers in jail. God, you get me out of this. I'll never do it again. I've never heard that term nine one one prayers. Uh, well, well, I hear it all the time down here. Yeah. Um, well, I, I hit my knees, and I went to pray, and I couldn't pray, man. I, there was nothing that I could say to God about the things that I'd been doing. And uh, the, the program teaches you get to God on your understanding. And uh, I, I got the same God in church that I got in recovery. But uh, I hit my knees to pray, man, and all I could do was cry. I cried like a baby for what seemed like an eternity. And uh, when I got done crying, <laughs> there's a... Um, a scripture in the Bible, Psalms forty six ten. It's not something that I uh, memorized. It's not something that I uh, even referred to uh, beforehand. But it says, "Be still, know that I'm God." And that run through my mind, man. And uh, that was my turning point. Uh, when I got up, I just knew that, regardless of what happened, uh, regardless of uh, what came, because at, at that point in time. I had no contact with my lawyers. I had no contact with the judge. It was like they throwed away the key, to, so to speak. You know, I didn't know when I was getting out or anything like that. So, uh, uh, I got up content, and that was the first time in my life that I was content with anything. And um, I was content on where I was at. I was content of not knowing what was going to happen. I was content with the situation with my kids because I knew they was all right. They was with their grandma. What were you uh, like? As you you were content now, but when you were in active addiction, what kind of person were you? Were you a happy, drunk in person getting high? Were you miserable? Were you I starting mean, fights? I, I was in a lot of fights, but I mean, for the most part, I was pretty happy. Uh, but if I was around you, I was using you. If I was around you, I was getting something out of you that was better than me. So I thought, whether it be money, whether it be drugs, whether it be sex, whether it be a place to stay, whether it be whatever it might be, if you was around me, I was getting something from you that I thought I needed. Uh, I, I didn't make no genuine friendships and active addiction. I didn't, uh, I wasn't building bridge, bridges for them to last, you know what I mean? Um, I, was a, I was a user. I used everybody around me. Um for that matter, I mean, even my kids. I mean, I used... How'd you use them? What do you mean by get, go into a little detail uh, there? Well, you use your kids for the pity party. You know what I mean? I mean, like, you find you got to a place or something, and you're using all your money for drugs, so you go borrow money from folks to pay your bills and justify it like that. You know what I mean? That's using your kids for a pity party to me. Uh, well, I got to keep the water on for my kids and not knowing them, not knowing that you're spending your money on drugs, but they'll give you money to help your kids out or something like that, you know, or even even getting on government assistance to to help support your kids and the government not knowing you're using your money on drugs, you know, I mean, that's that's using your kids. Yeah. That's, that's, that's in my side anyway, and that's the way I was. I mean, if I could get something for free 
by putting my my kid's name on a piece of paper, then why not? Was anyone? Did you use one anyone specifically? Did you have like a drug uh, buddy, or were you using a lot alone? I used alone a lot, but I mean, I my me and my girlfriend, like I said, we was in active addiction together, and uh, we had acquaintances we used together. But I mean, it, there was a lot of times I used alone. I mean, I would, <laughs> I would go get a sack, and I would put some back that nobody knew about, and and then I'd use the other stuff with them, and then I had my own from for my own doings, you know. So. How were other relationships around you affected? You know, did you have a relationship that, like, with your parents or aunts and uncles? Were there other people that were trying to help you out or were bringing you down? Maybe what were, what were relationships like during active addiction? Whether I didn't it be really friends, have relationships. Okay. Um, I, my mom and dad. Um, I broke down and told them that I was actively using the uh, uh, Father's Day before I got sober, uh, which I mean they knew. But they they hadn't heard it from me. Um, they dealing with uh, other active addicted brothers and sisters. Uh, they kind of knew that you know wasn't nobody going to do nothing for you until you wanted it for yourself. You know, I mean they've like I said, I got a brother that's still in active addiction, and you know they've tried and tried and tried to to get him to go get help or get him sober. They know that you can't do it unless you want it for yourself. Um, so when when I broke down and told them that I was actively using, I mean, my mom and dad, the only thing they could really do is, is pray for me, you know. And I'm sure just like any other addict out there, their mom and dad's probably burnt their knees up praying for them to get better. But you got to want it. Um, as far as any other relationship I had, like I said, I didn't have none. I didn't have no true friends. Um, my... My wife now, her mom and dad, they've they've been behind us pretty pretty strong through our recovery. They knew what was going on. They're the ones that, that pursued to get my kids out of the situation that we had them in, which I'm thankful for, because there's no telling where we'd have ended up if it wouldn't have been for that. Um, but the relationships I have now are genuine. You know, there's folks that, that pushes me in recovery. There's folks that, uh, you know, let me know that, hey, you're doing a, a great job in what you're doing. They see a difference and they see a change, uh, you know, and there's a genuine, genuine relationships built between my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my mom, my dad, my sister, uh, even my wife. Uh, she, We both kind of got sober together. Um, I got a little more time than she's got, but that's, you know, to, it's, it's a one day at a time thing, so it doesn't even, even matter. We're both... In recovery, we're both working the program. We're both doing something different, you know. So, going back just a little bit, so getting out of jail, what what did, what were your first moves? What did you do first? Was there anyone that you had to go to, or would you go to a halfway house or something? No, when I got out of jail, my mother in law picked me up. Um, she and she had my my two little girls with me. Like I said, that's uh, two I had at home now. Uh, she picked me up and. I started working some services to a, uh, a place called Health Connect here here at home, and uh, it's kind of a treatment thing. They they help you get a outpatient treatment plan going and, and help you get things uh, moving in the right direction. So, uh, like I said earlier, I went ten years without a driver's license. So one obviously one of the first things I wanted to do was to get legal when it comes to driving around and things like that. 
So, uh, uh, we, that, that's what we did. We lined up everything I needed to do to get my driver's license back, and we accomplished that. I got my driver's license back, uh, and then I started school. Uh, I, I originally started to, to go to school to be a mechanic, and uh, things didn't work out for that. My dad passed away the day I was supposed to start school, and I started out behind, and it, it was just a big ordeal. So, I got to reconsidering what I wanted to do in my life. And then I decided that maybe I wanted to be a uh, uh, drug counselor. Well, they say that the best counselors have experience in the field. You know, I've got I've gotten the experience when it comes to drugs. So, I mean, I, so, uh, so that's what I did. I started, uh, started Colorado Christian University um, and started getting my, working toward my degree in biblical uh, interpretation class to, to where I could I could apply biblical principle on being a drug counselor uh, once I get that degree once I get that degree then I'll, I'll plan on going back and getting a, a degree in psychology to where I can actually be a drug counselor that's amazing um, so um you once you got out of j- jail you were pretty focused on changing your life around it sounds like Absolutely. I, I knew that I didn't want to be where I was. I didn't want to go through the things that I went through anymore. Um, it, it takes a long time for your mind to get cleared up after after living that life so long. After staying so messed up for so long and then deciding you're going to get sober, it takes a while for your, your clarity to come back in your brain, so to speak. Um, but once I got out of jail, I knew that whatever I had to do to... Uh, avoid going back to that lifestyle I was going to do. So naturally, I went and started going to meetings. And I got me a sponsor. We worked the steps. Uh, which I meet- worked the steps. Which meetings Sorry. did you? What meetings did you end up going to? Did you go to AA? Yeah, I went to AA. Okay. Uh, now, I got a long list of uh, of history when it comes to drugs, but my problem started with alcohol. So I, I leaned toward toward AA. Um, but I got me a sponsor, and we worked. I worked the uh, twelve steps in jail uh, through an organization called CASA. It's Christians Against Substance Abuse, and it's the same twelve step program, but it's just biblically based. Um, but when I got out, we worked the steps through the AA program, and um, I, after after I got my sobriety, my my year sobriety, I started sponsoring folks and working with folks. I chair meetings. I, I do all kind of service work trying to uh, to give back what was freely given to me, you know. Uh, reach back in the dark and pull somebody else out. Uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, you learn it ain't about it ain't about us anymore, you know. It's about the next person trying to come up. Absolutely, that's it's one of the things that I try to encourage. I guess is the word in Addicts Anonymous is people looking out for each other because. Even if you got six months clean, you still have something to offer someone that's on day one. That's so right. Even even if it's just a quick conversation, even if it's not even really talking, it's just listening to them. It for some reason those guys in AA back in nineteen the nineteen thirties really realized that helping other alcoholics at the time really kept them sober. 
Yeah, it did. And, you know, I, 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 we have newcomers come in our group all the time, and uh, they'll be worried so much about how much time they got. Well, I ain't got but a couple of weeks, or, you know, I ain't got but a couple of months. And I always tell them, like, well, what time did you get up this morning? You know, and, and a lot of times they're up earlier than I am. And if they are, I tell them they've been sober longer than me, you know, because all we got is today. Uh, regardless of what, how much time you got behind you, you that's gone, you know, or... We ain't worried about the future either. You know, it's today and today only. Sometimes you have to break it down to five-minute increments. Sometimes you have to take it down to two-minute increments. You know, some days are better than others. Uh, but today's all we got. Yeah, you know? so speaking of today, what is your life like today? Like, as of right now, what are your, you know, tomorrow morning when you get up, what is what is your life like? Well, I, I get to get up and go to a tax-paying job every day. Uh, I, I'm, in, I'm an IBEW uh, electrician. I'm working toward being going through the apprenticeship program to be an electrician. Um, I, I got a tax-paying job. I pay my child support. My kids love me. I'm here. I'm actually here with my kids. Like When I was in active addiction, I might have been there with my kids, but mentally I wasn't there with my kids. Um now I'm I'm there physically and mentally. You know I can I can teach them the right things to do in life and not just be there. You know and life's good today. I got a I got more blessings than I could ever imagine. Uh, we got two running vehicles which we haven't had since the whole time we've been together. Uh, two vehicles at the same time. My kids are are doing good in school. Uh, they're they got two present parents all the time you know we're working toward the same goals that's something else we ain't never done so i mean life's good for me right now that's always doing that to me yeah that's amazing you know there's a lot of people who are fighting the same struggle and hearing you talking about all this because it's been a great story you know you have definitely went through a lot and you definitely overcame a lot it's kind of battle. There's been days, I tell you, you in, in early recovery, man, uh, when my wife, she went to rehab. She was in rehab when I got out of jail. And uh, she come in, she come back shortly after I uh, I got out of jail. And, you know, I'd already had the mindset to do whatever it took to to handle things and situations differently than what I would before. Well, uh, for instance, I live seven and a half miles from the AA hall that I attend. And uh, I didn't have no vehicle or nothing at the time. And, and me and her had gotten in an argument. And that's that's one, that, I don't know that you really call it a trigger, but, you know, that's just a, a negative thing that we had done a lot of was arguing. And uh, we got into an argument, and I was like, all right, I got to do something different. So I was going to walk to the store, which ain't eighth of a mile from my house and get me some cigarettes. Instead of taking a left to go to the store, I took a right and walked seven and a half miles to the AA hall. Uh, by the time I got there, I, hadn't even, I don't even remember what we was fighting about. All I cared about was getting a drink of water. But that's the extent that I went to avoid doing the same things I used to do. You know, sometimes you have to take dramatic measures to avoid putting yourself in those same situations. Yeah, they no, say uh, people, places, and things, right? That's right. Did you have to remove yourself from certain 
people, places, and things? Were there people you had to say, like, were there any friends that you had to say, you know, goodbye, I'm sorry, this ain't going to work for us, our friendship? Absolutely. So you did, okay. I, I, I do not. There's maybe one or two people um, that I socialized that, that even knew me back then that I still socialize with today. And one of them's an old boss of mine and he's a preacher and, and his two kids. Those are the only people I socialize with that I knew in active addiction because everybody I knew is actively addicted, you know, or, or something. And it's not good for my well being. So yeah, I had to, I had to change all that. I, I still, I'm still living in the same area that I was living in active addiction, but I'm not around the same, same folks, you know, uh, I can keep myself away from them trigger spots. Uh, I don't have no desire to roll up to the liquor store and, and, and give me no liquor or drive the route that passes by the dope man's house or anything like that, you know? I avoid all of that because, because I know that if uh, if I put myself in the position to pass by the dope man's house, one of these days I'm going to pull in his driveway. There's always that possibility, you know? Uh, that's a, that is a smart thing to do. So my last question for you, do you have any advice for anyone that might be listening that needs help and is an active addiction? What would you tell them? Pick up the phone and call somebody or, you know, uh, go to a meeting and whatever you got to do to get some, there's all, there's, there's plenty of people out there that's, that's willing to help. All you have to do is reach out and whether it be an AA meeting or NA meeting, whether it be a, a hospital or whatever, there's call lines, there's helplines, uh, reach out. I mean, if you know you're struggling and you, you want help, don't be scared to pick up a hundred pound phone and call somebody. That's what all of us that's in recovery. That's what we're here for uh, to pick up the phone and call us so that we can, we can help you get the help that you need. Whether it be a Facebook page, uh, there's so many different ways to, to, to reach for help. Uh, just ask for help. Don't be scared. I mean, I know it's, it's hard asking for help sometimes, but the, the fastest way to walk 100 miles is to take the first step, pick up that phone and call somebody. That is great. <clears throat> Pardon me. That is great advice. Um, that is definitely something that I would say is a great thing. So that's all we have for today. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Did you have anything else you wanted to say before we go? No, man. I, I appreciate everybody um, taking the time to hear my story. Uh, I hope it reaches somebody. If, if it just reaches one person, then, then I've done my job. Man, I think what you're doing is a wonderful thing. Just keep doing what you're doing. God really, bless everyone of you. I really appreciate that. So, folks, if you heard what you like today, give us a rating on iTunes. You can also check out the Facebook group, Addicts Anonymous. Um, we do, as of this point, we're almost getting up to where we have daily Zoom meetings at different times of the day. So definitely just go to the events tab on our Facebook group and you'll see all the meetings we have coming up. So that is all we have for today. And until next time.